We're going to enjoy lunch together after the services. Everybody's invited, and I'm looking forward to it. I pray the Lord will bless our time fellowship together. I have entitled the message for this morning, He that is without sin among you. He that is without sin among you. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him. John chapter 8 verse 7. So when they continued asking him. He lifted up himself. He had been on his, not quite on his knees, crouched down, and he now stands up. And he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. I believe that other than judge not, this may be one of the most universally known statements of the Lord by believers and unbelievers alike. I got no stones to throw. I'm sure that that has come across many people's lips. I've got no stones to throw. The response of our Lord's statement is seen in verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. His second stoop. And they which heard, being convicted by their own conscience, went out, one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now, I want you to picture yourself as a witness to what took place. Think of yourself as watching when this takes place. Place. Verse 2, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, caught in the very act, there was no doubt whatsoever with regard to the guilt of this woman in this act, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, now try to picture this woman, no doubt she was guilty. She'd committed 
the sin of adultery. And they took her in the very act. Evidently, they were watching. Was this a setup? Was somebody watching? She was taken in, in the very act. And they physically apprehended her and brought her to the Lord. Can you imagine how angry she must have been? How angry would you have been if someone had done this to you? Can you imagine how humiliated she was? How embarrassed she was? How resentful she was? I can certainly understand all those feelings, can't you? When these religious men, these supposedly moral men, these hypocrites, caught her in the act and bring her before the Lord. And when they'd set her in the midst, verse 4, they said unto her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. There's no doubt with regard to the guilt of this woman. She committed this sin. There is no getting around this. Now some 1,450 years before this, that's a long time, God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai what is known as the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt put no God before me. There's the commandment against idolatry. You're not to make any likeness of me at all. Any likeness we make to God only brings him down to our level. It's evil. He said, don't take my name in vain. His name is so holy, so glorious, that to even speak his name without the proper reverence is great sin against God. There's the commandment with regard to the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. Don't work. I think that's glorious that even in the law, we have this commandment with regard to rest. No works. I mean, make a work out of not working. I realize that. But no works. And then the fifth commandment regarding honoring your father and your mother. Honoring authority. You know, I think it's interesting. Paul says this is the first uh, commandment with promise that it might be well with thee. Uh, if you honor authority, it's going to be well with you. If you teach your kids to respect authority, they're going to have a better life. That's your responsibility as parents. You say, I can't make them make me mind. I can't make them mind me. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. That's your responsibility before God. And then the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Murder, take someone's life. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. The commandment against the act of marriage outside of marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It was sin then, it's sin now. It was sin when this woman was taken in adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. In the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. You're not to take what doesn't belong to you. The ninth commandment, 
Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. And the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet what belongs to your neighbor. The ten commandments. Were these things sin before the giving of the law? There was a time in Abraham's day when he didn't have the Ten Commandments written down so he could know what they were. But listen to the word of God to Abimelech. Over 400 years before the law, he said and appeared to Abimelech and said, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast is another man's wife. She's Abraham's wife. So yes, this was sin before the giving of the law. People who've never heard the Ten Commandments have the law written in their heart, according to Romans 2.16. Everybody knows it's wrong to steal, to lie, to murder, to commit adultery, to covet, to fail to honor your parents. This is God's law written in the heart. I don't have to convince anybody of this. Deep down, they know that these things are sin. Now, if there's no God, who's to say what is to sin? But if God is, sin is. Before the fall, I thought it was interesting that we read this when Claire read that passage of Scripture. Before the fall, it was said that they were naked and not ashamed. Now, I want you to think of the impact of that. They didn't have an evil nature. And being naked was not an issue. No unclean thought came out of that. No sinful thought. No passionate thought. It wasn't even an issue. Because they did not have a fallen nature. But when they ate the fruit, what's the first thing said about them? They knew they were naked. And it is now an issue. They now have a sinful nature, a fallen nature, and it is now an issue. This woman was taken in the very act of committing adultery. Adultery is a horrible evil. To be unfaithful to your spouse, it's sin against God. And how many lives have been ruined through people's adulterous relationships? The kids are affected. It's a horrible, horrible evil. And there are few people who have not been affected by this. Adultery. I will not say perhaps you've committed this sin. I will say you and I have committed this sin. Nobody 
is not guilty. Let me show you that from the scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, what's it next say? Hath. Not, it's as if he has. Hath. Hath. Committed adultery with her already in his heart. You see, that's where sin really takes place. In the heart. So, everybody in this room is guilty of being an adulterer. This woman was taken in the act. Now, back to this scene. Verse 4. They said in him, Master. They don't call him Lord, do they? Teacher. Teacher. This woman was taken in adultery. In the very act, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now right off the bat, this woman was taken in adultery. There was somebody else involved. The man. Where's he? Why is he not brought before the Lord at this time? Maybe he's the one who set it up. I don't know, but I know this. The scripture says they are both to be put to death. Not just the woman, but the man. Something is wrong. And then they talk about what the law says. Moses said in the law that such should be stoned. Now, wait a minute. That's not what Moses said. They're using a half a scripture to prove the point. They're using the word of God to justify what they're saying. Moses said both are to be stoned. So they were abusing and misusing the word of God. Moses said both are to be stoned. Adultery, I know you agree with this. I know you agree with the fact that you have committed adultery. You have. You have. You say, no, I haven't. Well, Christ said you did. I don't need to say anything else. And you know that Adultery is a great evil. Society doesn't look at sexual sin as a great evil now, but it is nonetheless. <laughs> Adultery, there can be so many reasons behind the act, but 
Here's what the law says. Both are to be stoned. But I think of her in this crowd. Maybe she had a sheet cover. Maybe they brought her in. I, I don't know what happened, but how humiliated and angry she must have been. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Now, they didn't care one way or the thing or the other about this woman, but they wanted to put the Lord in a bad light. They wanted to accuse him, and they thought in their brilliance they'd figured out a way where he can't get off the hook with this one. If he says, let her go, we can say, where's your respect to the law of God? God's law says to stone her, and you're saying we don't need to do that. Where's your respect to the law of God? And if he says stoner, throw the rock at her, we could say, whatever happened to you claiming to be the friend of sinners? It was all just talk. If you tell us to stone her, you're being completely contradictory to what you say. You are the friend of publicans and sinners. They thought these idiots thought that they had entrapped him who is omniscient, the Lord of glory. Jesus, look in verse 6, or verse 5, but Jesus stooped down. While they were saying this, and remember, every, everything is significant there's nothing that's insignificant in the scripture. Every word is God-breathed of great importance to teach us something. Jesus stooped down. I'd try to do it, but I probably couldn't get back up. Um, but he stooped down, and I can see him with his finger writing on the ground during this time. Not answering them, but writing on the ground. And the translators uh, say as though he heard them not, and evidently that's implied in that language. They were speaking. He wasn't listening. Don't you hear us? Nope. What you're saying is not worth listening to. And he stooped down and wrote in the ground with his own finger. Now, there's two times in the scripture that the finger of God is said to write. The first time was the law, the Ten Commandments. The scripture actually says, written by the finger of God. I quoted those Ten Commandments. God's eternal law written by the finger of God. Of God. Now we're not told what he wrote, but I think I've got a pretty good idea. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit 
adultery. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he didn't answer. They kept asking him, you can't plead the fifth on this. You need to tell us what you got to say about this. What sayest thou? We know what Moses said. What do you say we ought to do? So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself. He stood up at this time from that crouched position where he'd been riding in the dirt. He stood up and he looked at them and he doesn't say stoner. He doesn't say do not stoner. He says he that is without sin among you. And he's not using this in the generic sense. He's talking about this particular sin. He that's without sin among you. Throw the first stone. Anybody without this sin, you throw the first stone at her. And again, verse 8, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Does anybody know the second time the finger of God wrote? You remember in Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar was having a big drunken party and Everybody was having a good time, and all of a sudden he comes up with a brilliant idea. Let's take the vessels of the Lord and drink our wine out of it. Now, all of a sudden, a hand comes to the wall, telling this man that his days are numbered, his kingdom is gone. He said, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Second time, he wrote, in the ground. I think the first time, thou shalt not commit adultery. The second time, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Some have suggested that he was writing names and dates. I know we don't know, but there's great significance to the fact that the Son of God was writing these words on the ground. And since the finger of God is only written twice, and this is the finger of God. I think he's saying the same thing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You're weighed in the balances of God's absolute impartial justice, and you've been found wanting. I couldn't help but think of the Scripture in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it always cuts me. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, that judgest another. For you that judgest, doest the same things. That's what God says. Somebody says, no, I don't. God says you do. Enough said. God says you do.
And they which heard, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, verse 9, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, what if you were a bystander watching all this? Would you, like these men, feel convicted? I know this. If I witnessed this, even as an unbeliever, I'd want to hear what else he has to say, wouldn't you? If I experienced seeing the way he dealt with this, I'd want to hear more from this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice it says they being convicted by their own conscience. Now understand this. There's two kinds of convictions. Being convicted by your own conscience. You know everybody's got a conscience. Everybody's got that. We're born with one. Now it could be that uh, through wickedness and sin our conscience has become seared and we can't tell the difference between right and wrong but we don't begin that way everybody's got a conscience there's the conviction of your own conscience and there's the conviction of the holy spirit the conviction of your own conscience it'll cause you to go and try to right this wrong try to do something to make up for this try to try to let's fix this the conviction of God the Holy Spirit drives you to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing he's all you have. You have nothing else. You're not trying to fix it because you know you can't. You're coming to Christ. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And these men didn't have that conviction. They went off and left the Lord Jesus Christ. And there he stoops, still riding on the ground as they leave one by one, beginning at the eldest. There he stoops, still riding on the ground as they leave. And then we read in verse 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. The best place she could be, and you and I could be, alone with Jesus. All she saw at this time was him. Oh, would to God that that would describe me and you this morning. Alone with Jesus. Forget everybody else. Forget everything else. Alone with Jesus. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. Now, what I want to call 
to your attention in this passage of Scripture, and every detail is of critical importance. He stooped twice, didn't he? And he lifted up himself twice. Now, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, there were two great stoops bringing himself down. The first was when he humbled himself and became a man. The creator of the universe humbled himself to live in a womb for nine months. And he took upon himself all the limitations of the flesh. God, the infinite God, the creator, the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the one who helped upheld all things by the word of his power, became a man. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. What a stoop that the God of glory became a man. There's one mediator between God and men, the man. Christ, Jesus. And as a man, he never sinned. He never had an unclean thought. He never had a bad motive. He obeyed God perfectly. I love to think of his first 30 years of life that we know so little about. In those 30 years, he worked out a Perfect righteousness, obeying God's law perfectly. He never had an adulterous thought. That's his first step, the stoop. He became flesh. But what about his second stoop? When he was made sin. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Now, what a stoop this was. And we obviously cannot possibly understand it. But the scripture says Christ was made sin. He bore my sins. Now, he, he can do this because of who he is. When he drank that cup, he drank in the sins of all the elect. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. What a stoop. He bore the shame. And he never committed sin, I realize that, but he owned the guilt and the shame. He was so humiliated before his father, ashamed before his father as he bore the sins of his people that became his sins. What a stoop. He stooped one time when he became flesh, another time when he was made sin. But now he raises himself again. After this second stoop, he's speaking to this woman on resurrection ground. Don't miss that. He's speaking to this woman on resurrection ground when he raised himself up once again. 
And look what he says to her. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now, what does it mean that he's speaking to her on resurrection ground? Romans chapter 4 verse 25 tells us, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that's risen again. Who's even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. All of our salvation is predicated on his resurrection. You believe that? All, not most, not 99.99%, all of our salvation is predicated, dependent completely on this. He was raised from the dead because God was satisfied with what he did, completely satisfied. He said, I can ask for no more. He raised him from the dead because Christ completely satisfied all the demands of God's justice and God's law against sin. He's speaking to this dear woman whom you and I ought to identify with, no question with regard to our guilt. His question, woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? Let them be brought to the stand. Where are your accusers? What about the devil? It's Christ that died. He can have no response to that. What about the law? The law says, I'm satisfied. It's Christ that died. What about these accusers? Who cares what they say anyway? It's Christ that died. I don't care anything about these guys. They're hypocrites. It's Christ that died. What about my own conscience? It's Christ that died. That's the only answer needed. Yea, rather that's risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Verse 11. Here's her answer. She said, No man, Lord. You notice these uh, Pharisees called him master. She knew who he was. That's everything in my experience, knowing who he is. Do you know he's the Lord? I'm asking, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord? The Lord of creation, the one who spake the world into existence, the Lord of everything that's taken place. He's the Lord of providence. Nothing happens without him willing it. 
I don't care what it is. He's the Lord, most especially. He's the Lord of salvation. If you're saved, it's because he willed your salvation. And you know that. She knew he's the Lord. She knew the same thing the thief did. Remember the thief? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew who he was. She knew. He's the Lord. Has no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Let me tell you why he said that. Because there was nothing to condemn her for. That's what justification is. There was nothing to condemn her for. That sin was put away. It was gone. It was wiped out. He's looking at a justified sinner, one who has never sinned. That's why he didn't condemn. Oh, the power of the gospel that makes this so. Neither do I condemn thee. And I love his last words. He says to this woman, go and sin no more. Now, some have suggested that he's saying you don't live this lifestyle anymore. And I wouldn't deny that in any way. That's not a lifestyle to be lived. But he's saying go and sin no more. You see, the gospel does not excuse sin any more than the law does. Go and sin no more. You know, he would never say, now since, since your sin's already put away, it's okay to sin. You know, I mean, you're okay. Don't, don't let it bother you. know, go and sin no more. Let me close with 1 John chapter 2, if you'll turn there. Verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if, that same word if is also translated when, and when any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And when the Lord says in verse 12 after this, I'm the light of the world, he's saying I'm the light of how this is. So let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for thy blessed Son. How we thank you for his stoop to be a man and his stoop to be made sin and his resurrection that can cause him to say to us, where are your accusers? They're all put away. There are none. I do not condemn thee. Lord, we thank you so much for your gospel. I ask in Christ's name that you would make this real to each person here according to your will. Lord, as we 
have this time together to eat and fellowship. We're so thankful for these relationships you've given us, your people. We ask that you would give us the grace to love one another the way you have loved us and bless our time of fellowship together. We thank you for this, this time of feasting on your word and we pray that you'd bless us during this time of eating together. We give thanks for this food. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There will be no PM services tonight.